morning we have the privilege of studying together Parshas Emor. Parshas Emor is found in the uh, art scroll, the Stone Chumash, page 672. So as has become our custom, just a brief review or overview of the Parsha, and then we'll get into some of the uh, Psukim, a text-based analysis uh, in particular. So the uh, Parsha begins with the laws of Kohanim. And uh, the previous Parsha, as we discussed last week, has to do with Kedusha, has to do with holiness and sanctity. And remember we talked about last week being a nation of priests, that we are to the world what the priests are to our particular or any particular religion. So since last week we spoke of the generality of Parshas Kedoshim, so now this week we move to the more specific of the uh, sacred, the sanctified within our people, namely the priests, namely the Kohanim. So the, uh, the Torah delineates exactly the law specific to them, that Kohanim are not allowed to become impure. We know Kohanim can't be in contact with a corpse. So all kinds of questions. Can a Kohen uh, go to the hospital? Can they visit a hospital? It's a fascinating question in Halacha. If a woman, an Aishas Kohen, a woman who's married to a Kohen is pregnant, so can she go to the hospital to give birth for regular checkups? Because what if, what if she's carrying a boy? If she's carrying a girl, it's not a problem. If she's carrying a boy, it's a problem. So there's all kinds of, it's very, very interesting discussion in Halacha, including the question of, do we trust the ultrasound? Do we trust an ultrasound today to determine that it's a girl that would allow her to go to a hospital with no problems whatsoever? What is the status of an ultrasound in halacha? Is it definitive? Is it uh, a definitive clarification? Conclusive? Or is it just a suggestion? All kinds of interesting questions about this. Uh, you know, Shari Tzedek Hospital in Yerushalayim, where my oldest daughter was born, they will put a sign in front of the hospital if there is a deceased in the hospital, if there's a corpse in the hospital, so a coin knows not to enter. There's all kinds of questions. Kohanim going to medical school and so on and so forth. So it comes from this week's parsha that a Kohen is held to a higher level. A Kohen is uh, mandated to keep a higher form of purity, to be pure all the time. And therefore the only one he's allowed to become impure too are immediately fam- immediate family members and their burial needs, their funeral. So that means a mother, father, brother, sister, son, daughter, spouse. Those seven immediate relatives, that's how they can become contaminated. Torah then goes right into about uh, not uh, mourning too excessively, not grieving too excessively, desecrate Hashem's name, who the Kohen can then marry, Isha, Zona, V'chalala, Lo Yikahu, which spells out the acronym for Isha, Zona, V'chalala, Lo Yikahu is Azulai. Does the name Azulai mean anything to anybody? It's a very famous was a great rabbi, Azulai. Chaim Azulai. He was a he was he was a cavalier. Kafa Chaim. He was a uh, he was a um, he was a great rabbi. He was a Kohen, and it's assumed his family name wasn't wasn't really his family name. They didn't have family names. They named from the place that they came. But Azulai, because he were Kohen, him they took the name Azulai. That a Kohen is not allowed to marry a. Uh, a woman who is promiscuous or who has been desecrated, a woman who is divorced, the Kohen can't marry a divorcee, and uh, and so on. So we have here the laws of the of the Kohenim, the laws of the Kohen Gadol, his even higher level of sanctity. Kohen Gadol is not allowed to marry, um, and uh, so on. Then the Torah goes on and gives disqualifying blemishes, the uh, blemishes that uh, disqualify a person, a uh, Kohen, for performing the service. Kohen would not be able to participate. And then the Torah goes on and tells us when it comes to truma, the offering and the uh, sanctification of truma, protecting the truma, that, uh, of course, the Kohen eats. Their food's designated for the Kohen. Since we're talking about the Kohen and his higher level of sanctity, we talk about the consecrated foods that the Kohen eats. Blemished animals, uh, then Kiddush Hashem and Chil Hashem, Velosa Chalalu Hashem Kadshi, Benikta Shti Besov Bnei Yisrael. The Jewish people are reminded 
don't desecrate God's name, and rather create a Kiddush Hashem. And I always find the Pasuk is, uh, always reminds me that we make the mistake of thinking that the obligation to make a Kiddush Hashem is before whom? The non-Jewish world. We often think about what's a Kiddush Hashem. Be careful how you act in public. Be careful how you appear before the non-Jewish world. Our job is to make a Kiddush Hashem. Our job is to sanctify God's name. Right? The ultimate Nochil Hashem. Kiddush Hashem is when you were a kid, that school trip. Don't stick your head out the window on the bus. Don't throw a thing. Don't make a Chil Hashem. Make sure to make a Kiddush Hashem. But we forget that the Pasuk, when it frames that this mitzvah, when it gives a context to this mandate, it does so besoch b'nei Yisrael. We often think, Ashanda within the Jewish people, that's okay. Jewish people, we're all family. It's all, we're all family. It's to the rest of the world we have to be careful about a chil Hashem and a Kiddush Hashem. Pesach reminds us that's not true. That's not true. V'nik tashti, b'mekadishmi, make a Kiddush Hashem where? Besoch b'nei Yisrael. Specifically among the Jewish people. That's where the Kiddush Hashem matters most. Don't turn off other Jews. Don't distance other Jews from God. Create a Kiddush Hashem, attract other Jews to God. In fact, the Rambam in Sefer HaMitzvos, when he codifies this mitzvah, Vinik Dashti, Besoch B'nai Yisrael, of Kiddush Hashem, the Rambam counts the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem. The Rambam does not count the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem as dying al Kiddush Hashem, which I might have thought it means. It's a whole conversation in Halacha. Again, about the obligation to die al Kiddush Hashem, do you make a bracha? What blessing do you recite if you're going to die al Kiddush Hashem? Does dying al Kiddush Hashem get a blessing? Somebody's going to kill a Jew simply because they're a Jew. A Jew stands poised to die because they're a Jew. Is there a blessing you recite? Because that's a mitzvah to die al Kiddush Hashem. Not, not, not a mitzvah chiyuvis. It's not a mitzvah like go out and fulfill it. But it's a mitzvah chiyuvis. One fulfills a mitzvah when they've given their life the ultimate. Shema, right? We say, v'chol uh, with all of your with your life be willing to give your life Rabbi Akiva so this is all a question the, the bracha we say in the morning some assume that that's the bracha there's all discussion about uh, a bracha on Kiddush Hashem but the Rambam when he get codifies the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem he does not codify it as a mitzvah to die the Rambam codifies it as a mitzvah to live and to attract other people to God essentially the Rambam says the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem is a mitzvah of outreach of outreach if you love God, you want to promote godliness. You want to bring other people closer to God. You're excited about God. You want to sell the product of God. You want to sell the services of God. You want to get other people to have that relationship with God. So the Nikdashti, B'Sof B'nai Yisrael, is the mandate, behave and act in a way that will draw others closer to what you have and to, uh, to connecting with God. Well, this is within the Jewish people. B'Sof B'nai Yisrael. So uh, we do believe in outreach within the Jew. We, we proselytize full force within the Jewish people. That's our outreach revolution, the Boker Tone Synagogue outreach revolution. Why is there not a prohibition, but we don't proselytize among non-Jews? We don't proselytize among. First of all, even that's a misnomer. We should proselytize among non-Jews. The question is, what are you promoting? We should promote non-Jews to be drawn closer to the authentic God and an authentic worship of Him. We're not proselytizing for them to become Jewish because we don't recruit converts. That's a whole separate story. Why, again, all of this is just the introduction, so I don't want to distract us from getting too much into it. We do not recruit converts, but we absolutely should be recruiting Noahides, people to embrace an authentic relationship with the authentic creator of the world. That is something that we regularly should be doing, Jew and non-Jew alike. Okay, the Parsha continues now and ends really with going through all of the Jewish calendar, all of the holidays. This is one of the two Parshas of Moadim. 
here and in Parshas Re'eh are the two times that we have listed all the different holidays and this is why this is the choice of reading on Yantif. This is what we read on Yantif. So we read about the Moadei Hashem Mikrai Kodesh. We read about the appointed festivals that we're supposed to designate as holy times, namely Pesach, the Omer, counting the Omer till Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, Shmini and so on. And then the parsha ends with the menorah, the reminder of the lighting of the menorah, where it is every mor- every evening to morning, and then the the uh, the the showbread on the shulchan, and then. Uh, Parsha tells us the story of the um, the blasphemer, the individual who uh, cursed God, ben Mitzri, and the uh, the punishment that that person endured. Okay, that's an overview of the parsha. So here's what I wanted to. The parsha is the largest number No, I don't think it's that one. A better chance last week has kedoshim definitely has more. Yeah. Wow, it's impressive, George. It is a lot, but I don't think it's the most. Okay, so what I wanted to study with you together this morning is the Parsha Samoadim. So beginning in Perik Chav Gimel, Pasuk Tes. I thought it's relevant, particularly the part that deals with Sirius uh, Omer. Actually, go back. Perik Chav Gimel, Pasuk Dalit. Actually, go back a little further. Perik Chav Gimel, Pasuk Aleph. The beginning of Perik Chav Gimel. Might as well start from the beginning. So here the Torah begins again. I mentioned that this parsha contains the Jewish calendar. If you want to learn the Jewish calendar from its source, you go to either Parshas Emor or later Parshas Revai. Daber Hashem Moshele Mor. God spoke to the Jewish people saying, Daber El Bnei Yisrael. Uh, sorry, he spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to the Jewish people, and tell them the following, Moadei Hashem Ashetegru Osamikrei Kodesh, Elahem Moadai. That... Um, God has appointed festivals, Moadei Hashem, the appointed times. Moed, the term Moed, comes from like Yud, Vad, which means an appointed time, a designated time, a rendezvous time. So God has designated His appointed festivals, His appointed holidays, that are designated as holy. Elohim Moadai, these are my designated times. By the way, which really tells us everything about the, the holiday, that they're not arbitrary times. They're not commemorative or memorializing historical events superimposed on time, but they are actually built into the fabric of time. They are appointed times. They are designated times. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this is, I think, something so critical to understand that tragically most of the Jewish community do not understand. Jewish holidays are not about the past. Jewish holidays are not about the past. I always say this, you likely have heard me say this before. People make tragic mistakes when they think Jewish holidays are about the past. Secular holidays, more often than not, are about the past. Something happened in the past and we're commemorating it today with a barbecue. What? With a barbecue and with a sale and with a uh, football game, we're commemorating the past. Jewish holidays are not about the past. Jewish holidays and Pesach is not about the past. Pesach is about the present. Pesach is about tapping into freedom and liberty and emancipation and identity in the present. The past reveals for us those qualities and characteristics. The past reveals for us what that day is an appointed time for. But once I use the past to reveal to me what the 15th of Nisan is an appointed time for, my task and my job 
on the 15th of Nisan is not to commemorate the past, but is to experience it in the present. Pesach is perhaps the most stark example. Every generation a person is obligated to see themselves as experiencing it. Every Jewish holiday, the idea is the holiday exposes and reveals for us what that is an appointed time for. That's all that history plays that role for. History plays the role to teach us what is inherent, what is imbued within that time that I can grow from. But now my job is not just to commemorate flippantly. Okay, thousands of years ago they left. Okay. And why, why do I say it's so important to understand this? First of all, because for ourselves, to get something out of the holiday, you, you need to understand what its essence, what its energy, what its core, and tap into it. And walk out of the holiday a different person the way you walked into it. And I don't mean because you're a shmata from Pesach, walk out a different person. I don't mean limp away, limp away a different person than you came into it. But I mean walk away from Pesach and say, you know what? We had conversations around my Seder table and Yontif table. What is freedom? What is liberty? What are we enslaved to currently? How can we free ourselves of it? Is it technology? Is it, uh, is it pop culture? Is it texting? Is it... That's what it means. Shavuos. We're counting down towards Shavuos. What is Shavuos about? Shavuos is not about... Shavuos, of course, is about Matan Torah. It's about accepting the Torah. But it's not a historical commemoration of accepting the Torah. Because then, okay, so I eat a little cheesecake and stay up and learn a little bit. And okay, so thousands of years ago we got the Torah. Yippee, nice, good. If, and then I just walk away, just a few pounds heavier, maybe a little lactose intolerant. But that's, I've missed the point of the holiday. Shavuos is not about that. Shavuos is about, I just every year went to Harsinai. I go to Harsinai annually. I accept the Torah, I receive the Torah, I absorb the Torah, I pledge and commit my allegiance to Torah annually, once a year. That's what Jewish holidays are about. The fact that, again, Shavuos occurred, teaches me that in Sivan, there's a notion of an energy of being able to accept the Torah. But that's not... Again, you may have heard me say this. I don't want to bore you and I want to get back to the text. But that's what it means when it says Avram Avinu, when he's visited, visited by the three angels, and he serves them matzah and archala, and Rashi tells us he was observing Pesach. So you learn that in kindergarten. You come home, I learned the Medrash. Avram, it was Pesach. He gave the angels matzah. He gave them matzah pizza, whatever he gave them. So you say, okay, that's cute. That's adorable, but that's ridiculous. Why is that ridiculous? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Avram was observing Pesach? How could Avram observe Pesach? The Jews had not gone down to Egypt. We've not been enslaved and oppressed and persecuted. We were not freed and liberated. No miracles had occurred. What he was observing what? They didn't yet have time. They didn't yet not have time for the bread to rise and eat the mat. What was Avram Avinu? That's absurd. What's he observing? That's absurd. But the answer is, if you understand what I said, that's not absurd at all. Now you understand that when Avram Avinu was observing Pesach, it means we all needed Pesach to historically occur, to reveal to us that this is the time of freedom. Avram was so in tune with time. Avram was so in touch with Hashem's design of the world that he understood it was Pesach. He understood it was a time of freedom. He understood it was a time of liberty. Did he actually drink the four cups and eat the matzah and the maror? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he anticipated so much that he even anticipated the historical event. I don't want to, you know, 
be excommunicated, so I don't want to say that he didn't do those things. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't do those things. But what to me the Medrash is trying to say is that he was, he, like the other Avos and Imos, matriarchs and patriarchs, were so, their, their antenna was extended and picked up such a frequency that they understood what is inherent in time, what we can only understand through the unfolding of historical events that reveal it to us. Yes, Helen. Absolutely. Thank you for making that point. People mistakenly think, why do we have a Jewish leap year? We have a Jewish leap year because Pesach has to be in the spring. So therefore we have to, because it's a lunar calendar and it keeps getting adjusted shorter and shorter. Pesach in December, that's ridiculous. All the people, you know, how's it going to work? So we push it off. That's not true at all. It's not that Pesach has to happen in the spring because that's when it happened. It's that the spring allowed Pesach to happen. Not that Pesach happened in the spring so we commemorate it in the spring. The spring created Pesach. The same value inherent within the spring of blossoming and growth, of coming out of a shell, of coming into one's own, of blossoming and forth, that those notions of spring are contributed to what allowed Pesach to happen. And that's why Pesach has to be in the spring. Exactly. So all of this I'm getting into, I have much more to say on this, which I'm not going to say now, but I'm all getting into because the notion of Mo'adai, or Mo'adei Hashem. A Mo'ed means an appointed time. That's a Mo'ed. Mo'ed doesn't mean a holiday. We use the term secular holiday. It's a holiday. It's a holiday. It's Labor Day. It's President's Day. It's uh, Thanksgiving. It's a holiday. Let's go shopping. It's a big sale. It's a holiday. It's not a holiday. It is a appointed time. There's a huge difference between a holiday and an appointed time. A holiday kind of has nothing to do with me. I don't, I'm not trying to come out a different person than I went into a holiday. I'm just trying to have a good meal. I'm just trying to get a good bargain at the mall. I'm just trying to take in a good football game. But an appointed time means this is an appointed time for me to grow, to gain something from it. I would say the same thing, by the way, in a Jewish perspective about birthdays and anniversaries. I feel very strongly about this. I wrote this in the weekly many months ago. How many people even know their Hebrew birthday? How many people know their Hebrew anniversary? I don't want to embarrass anyone. How many people know what Hebrew day? It's Rosh Chodesh today, so that's a kind of an easy one. We don't have a consciousness and a presence within the Jewish calendar, and that's the real calendar. So, in other words, from a secular perspective, why do I celebrate my birthday or my anniversary? My anniversary, I'm celebrating. My anniversary is coming up in a few weeks, coming on 14 blessed, incredible years of marriage. So why do I celebrate my anniversary in a secular sense? Because 14 years ago, I got married. In a Jewish sense, no. My Hebrew anniversary is Chaf Iyar. And the reason I celebrate Chaf Iyar is because every, Chaf Iyar, when God created me and He created Yocheved, and within time, Chaf Iyar is a moed. It's an appointed time that celebrates our union, our coming together, our finding each other, our bringing a family into the world. And each year, we're not commemorating that 14 years ago we stood under the chuppah. Each year we stand under the chuppah again. Each year we renew our vows again. A person has their birthday. So you don't just celebrate your birthday means X number of years ago my mother gave birth to me. So I'm commemorating that. A birthday means that God designated this day for me as an appointed time of rebirth, of renewal, of coming into the world, of having a contract of something to offer. It, tra- it transforms the way you view time. 
So when you don't even know your Hebrew birthday, you're celebrating your secular birthday from a Jewish perspective is meaningless. I don't mean it's meaningless. Enjoy, get a card, your Facebook friends will know it's your birthday, very good. But I'm saying from a, from a, from a spiritual, religious, existential perspective, the Hebrew day of your birthday, your anniversary, is more than just a holiday. It's not about the past. It is an appointed time that you can grow, renewal, rebirth, recommitment, a chuppah, all of these things again in the present, not in the past. In the present, not in the past. It is an absolutely different way of looking at it. And it's a critical way, by the way, for this v'nikdashti b'soch b'nei Yisrael, for outreach. Because how many Jews have walked away because they say, this religion is so outdated, it's archaic, what thousands of, you want me to come to what for what, because thousands of years ago something happened? What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do? Move on. You've graduated. I'm done. What does that have to Pesach Seder? I'm sitting at the Seder. You're going to tell, you're going to tell, like we live in an age that moves at light speed. What happened yesterday is not important to me anymore. I don't even remember what happened last week. You're going to tell me because thousands of years ago Jews came out of Egypt. I, I wasn't there. I don't remember it. I can't recall. It means nothing to me. You know, that you're going to tell me I should commemorate? But imagine if we taught them instead that you're not commemorating the past. You're coming to have a meaningful conversation in the present. What are we enslaved to? Right? What, what are we so enslaved to in our life and how can we become free from it? It changes the conversation and makes Judaism so much more relevant. All of that is my commentary on the word Moed, appointed time. Okay, got that out of my system. Next. Next. Um, so what's the first Moed? So first of all, before we even get to that, so look at the Ramban. The Ramban is wondering, what is the connection? What's, uh, what's the flow? What's the continuity? What's the juxtaposition of the entire Parsha until now? The whole first part of the Parsha dealt with the unique status of the priests, of the Kohanim. They can't become impure. They eat consecrated foods. They have a unique role. If they have a blemish, they're ineligible. All the laws of the Kohen. What does that have to do with holidays? Kohen, do Kohen keep holidays better than we do? So that's why we now go from talking about Daber al Aaron Uvan Bnei Aaron. We don't go talk about speaking to Aaron and his sons. Now it's Daber al Bnei Yisrael. Speak to the Jewish people. Because the Ramban says that Daber al Bnei Yisrael is the transition from a message that is directed to the priests, to the Kohanim, to that which is relevant to the whole Jewish people. Sarban says, why is it here at all? Sefer Vayikra is other name is Torah's Kawanim. The other name for Sefer Vayikra is the book of the laws of priests. It's a book of sacrifices, Karbanos, priests. That is it's the manual for priests. So why why is it even appear here? Leave it in Parsha Sarai. In Parsha Sarai, in Sefer Dvarim, you already have the Moadim repeated. We repeat all of the holidays. So why is it here? So the Ramban says it does have some relevance. Because when the Beis HaMikdash exists, what characterizes the holidays? The sacrifices. Each of the holidays have different sacrifices. So when the Beis HaMikdash exists, the holidays are... Um, certainly uh, identified by their sacrifices and who brings those sacrifices of course it is the Kohanim and that's the relevance to it appearing here in Sefer Torah's Kohanim 
holidays, that's when we add the Karbonos. So here it appears because there is relevance because there's Karbonos, but Parshas Pinchas is where we really elaborate on the special Musaf offering that is brought uniquely to each of the holidays. Okay, fine. That's the basic comment of the Ramban. Okay, so what's the first holiday that the Parsha is now going to elaborate? Pasa Gimel. Pasa Gimel. Six days do work, conquer the world, manipulate it, and beat it. And on the seventh day, Shabbat, Shabbat, Mikrakodesh, the seventh day is a holy day. It's a set aside day. Be at peace with the world, be at peace with nature. Shabbat, 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 It is a Shabbat, for God in all of your dwelling places. We observe this Shabbos for God within all of our dwelling places. So we don't often think of Shabbos as a holiday. We take for granted the Shabbos and then there's all the Yom and Tovim. But the way the Torah includes Shabbos here, Shabbos is kind of the, the premier holiday. Shabbos is the um, umbrella of all of the holidays. Look at Rashi. Why is Shabbos included with the holidays? The Yantif is no less significant than Shabbos. If you observe the holidays, it's as if you've observed Shabbos. If you desecrate the holidays, you've desecrated Shabbos. These things go in tandem, these things go together. Shabbos and the holidays create a combined, what I would describe as time awareness. They represent God's design for how we relate to time. You see, again, if you understand that Benikdashti Basov Bene Israel, that Kiddush Hashem to the whole world means that God put us in a world which is very confusing, God put us in a world which is very complex, and there's no manual for most people how to live life. And living life is no less sophisticated, complex, challenging, and difficult than being a doctor, a lawyer, or any other profession that you go to school and you study. There's no manual. The only answer is actually that we do have a manual. It's called the Torah. And God says, I want the Jewish people to represent what does it mean to relate to time? What does it mean to relate to space? What does it mean to relate to food? What does it mean to relate to marriage, to sex, and so on? And bring that to the world. Teach the world. Teach that to the world. So Shabbos, and Rashi says, Shabbos and Yantav go together to create that time awareness to teach ourselves and to teach the world what it means to have a proper relationship with time. Okay. Okay, Rashbam, Ashit Gruas Sam Mikray Kodesh, that Pasuk? Yeah, Ashit Ismanu or Sam. Ashit Ismanu or Sam Kodesh. Koloshan Kriya Shaitl Modem Lashan Kviya Zmanu, Kmokaralai Moed. Means a designated time. We were invited to a designated time. So a designated time again is everything we just spoke about. That there's a designated time in order to extract from, to grow from, and to be elevated by. Good. The um Okay, let's keep going. There's so much I want to say, but I want to get to some of the stuff a little bit later. So let's let's keep going. 
Despite all this. Pasuk Dalit. So that pay, it's a psucha. Torah takes a little break there. And uh, end of paragraph, we dealt with Shabbos. And now we go on to the next holiday. These are God's appointed times, which He's designated as holy. That we call them on their holidays. In other words, we relate to them. So... Uh, what are they? On the first month, from the Torah perspective, what's the first month? Nisan. We think of Tishrei as the first month, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Torah perspective, Nisan. Really, we have two first months. It's all a question of what perspective you're looking at the calendar from. So in the first month, namely Nisan, the 14th of the month, Bein Ha'arbayim. What does Bein Ha'arbayim mean? Twilight. Or look at Rashi, Mishay Shauzulamala from six hours and on, Pesach Lashem. What does it mean, Pesach Lashem? It's the holiday of Pesach, really? Six hours halfway into the fifteenth? It's not Pesach yet. It is Pesach in the sense that now is when you're obligated to bring the Korban Pesach, as I spoke about in Shabbos Agadol, from the sixth hour on Erev Pesach one would offer the sacrifice and that's why it has the status of a quasi-holiday for us until today. Until today, we, as of midday on Erev Pesach, has the status like of Cholomoed. It's a quasi-holiday. Whatever you can't do on Cholomoed, you can't do on um, Erev Pesach as well. So that's what the Pasuk, that's what the Torah here is referring to. Um, and then on the 15th, the next day, it is Chag HaMatzos, it's Pesach. Shivas Matzos Tochelu, for seven days, eat Matzah. The Vilna Gon brought evidence from this Pasuk. This is a big debate. How long is there a mitzvah to eat matzah? Is the mitzvah to eat matzah one night? Or two nights? You know, because we have the Seder for two nights here in Chutzlarts. But in Israel, is the mitzvah one night? And then after that, you don't have to touch matzah. It's just that if you're hungry, you can't have bread. So the only thing you can have is matzah. But there's no mitzvah to eat matzah. Or is it that no... The mitzvah of eating matzah is for seven days, but the nature of the mitzvah changes. The first night, the mitzvah is a mitzvah chiyuvis. You're obligated to eat matzah. You're not in the mood? Too bad. You have to eat matzah the night of Pesach. The next six days, it's when you eat matzah, you fulfill a mitzvah. So that's a machlokas. That's a debate. There's different opinions on this issue between the Rishon and between the early commentaries. Yeah, yeah. The Vilna Gon is famous for his opinion, which is that there's a mitzvah chiyuv, there's a mitzvah kiyumis rather, that there's no, the obligation is only the first night, but you fulfill a mitzvah the other six days. And he gets part of that as evidence is Shivas Yamim Matzah's Tochelu. Seven days you shall eat matzah. Doesn't just sound like you only have to eat it the first night, and if you want to eat something bread like all you have is matzah, sounds like you should eat matzah. In fact, that's why. On the seventh day, or for what us, for us, what is the eighth day, the Vilna Gon would have a third meal. Now, the Vilna Gon never has a third meal, a Shalashudas on Yantif. Shalashudas is unique to Shabbos. Three meals for Shabbos. It says Oneg three times. In the puzzle, why, why we have three meals for Shabbos? But Yantif, we don't have that, with the exception of Pesach. The Vilna Gon held there was Shalashudas on the eighth day. Why? Since it's a mitzvah to eat matzah, we try to, on the last day, add one more opportunity. One more opportunity, so we have a third meal where we eat matzah to fulfill yet one more mitzvah. This is his third meal. The Hasid and the Baal Shem Tov introduced the third meal on the last day of Yantif. For him, it was the Suda's Mashiach. That on the last day of Yantif, the eighth day, is a tradition that Nisan, the Gula, happened once. It's going to, redemption will happen yet again. Mashiach is going to come. And as we conclude, culminate, the holiday of Pesach, 
characterized by redemption, we celebrate a Sudas Mashiach, the meal anticipating Mashiach. So, I always, when we have a Sudas Mashiach on the eighth day, so I always point out, part of the reason Mashiach will come is because it's something that the Baal Shem Tev and the Vilna Gon agreed on, that you should have that meal. Right? Baal Shem Tev and the Vilna Gon were arch enemies, they didn't agree on anything. And uh, the fact that they both endorsed that third meal to the exclusion of anybody else in the tradition. So that in itself is evidence Mashiach will come that they're both having that third meal. So anyway, just as a passing, you don't make a, you don't make a bracha. You don't make a bracha. Why don't you make a bracha? That's a good question. Do you make a bracha on a mitzvah kiyumis? Do you make a bracha on a mitzvah that you're not obligated in, but that if you choose to do it, you fulfill it? But lulav, we have a mitzvah. It's the Rabbanon today, but we have a mitzvah to take a lulav. The question is about matzah. Sukkah, you have the same question, by the way. You have the same exact... Am I obligated to sit in a sukkah for all of sukkahs? Or is it that if I want to eat... No, I could eat fruit and sit outside the sukkah. It's, it, am I obligated to specifically eat bread to sit in the sukkah? Or is it that if I want to eat... then? But do you get a mitzvah for eating bread in the sukkah? After the first night. It's the same debate. Do you get a mitzvah? So anyway, just uh, as an example. So it's a whole other area. It's worth to give a chabura on more than it is this parsha class. But do you make a bracha on a mitzvah kiyumas? For example, there's another mitzvah kiyumas. Let's say shechita, shechting, slaughtering, sacrificing an animal. Is that a mitzvah? That in itself is a debate. Some are of the opinion there's no mitzvah to slaughter. It's a matir. It's not a mitzvah, it's a matir. What does it mean, a matir? It means you're not allowed to eat an animal unless it's ritually slaughtered. The ritual slaughter permits it to become edible to you. But there's no mitzvah, so some see it as a matir. Others see it as, no, it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. Now, is there a mitzvah chiyuvis? Is there an obligation to go out? How often? Daily? Three times a day? Once a month? Is there a mitzvah to go slaughter? No, there's no mitzvah to go. No one would argue there's a mitzvah to go slaughter. That opinion says, if you're slaughtering, it's a mitzvah. And yet you make a bracha. So, do you make a bracha on a mitzvah kima? Do you not make a bracha on a mitzvah kima? We sit in the sukkah, the rest of, when you're eating bread, sitting in the sukkah, the rest of the time, you make a bracha. So why, why do you make a bracha there, but not on matzah the rest of the time? The Vilna Gaon has to give an answer for that. There's a whole, the Balamor makes a comment, the Balamor says sukkah is different, because a person couldn't go, um, it's impossible that you'd go all those days without eating, so, so therefore, you're gonna because you're definitely going to. We already instituted bracha on it. But here, you could go the rest of Pesach without eating the matzah. So, it's not. Such, you ask a lot of questions on that opinion. It's a whole other area. Yeah. Practical terms for next Pesach. Yes. When we're eating matzah in those cholamoid, um, a There's no other bracha you make. But you don't make that. Olive no. Olive. Correct. It's only at the seder. Only at the seder you make that. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Um, but some some hold there's no obligation to shecht, but when you shecht, you're doing a mitzvah. By the way, it's the same thing with uh, tzitzis. The best kept secret that we have from adolescent boys is that there's no real obligation to wear tzitzis. If you're wearing a four-cornered garment, you have to put tzitzis on them. But who says you're obligated to wear a four-cornered garment? We have accepted upon ourselves an obligation because it's an opportunity to do a mitzvah. But if you're not wearing a four-cornered garment, it's a mitzvah kiyumis, not chiyuvis. Kiyumis in the sense that if you're wearing a four-cornered garment, you have to now put tzitzis on the corners. But if you wear a jacket that's four-cornered, you don't put tzitzis on the corners. You do. Our jackets aren't four-cornered. They're curved. That's why. That's why they're curved. Okay. So Mikrei Kodesh, the Balaturim, says that these holidays are all called holy. So the term Mikrei Kodesh, Begamatria, is Mishte. And Mikrei Kodesh and Gematria means a meal. 
It means a a, a mishter. Also in gematria is bemachal beksus nakia, with food and with clean clothing. Nikraik. So what's the what's the Baal-tun really saying? He likes to say it in his creative sense through numerical values. What the Baal-tun is really saying is what makes it a holy time. What makes it special? What makes it special is the way we carry ourselves. Do we make delicacies and special food? Are we wearing clean clothing? Do we designate Shabbos and Yantif clothing that make us feel different rather than just wearing our same Vachadika clothing that we wear all the time? What makes it Mikra Kodesh is Mishta, Bemachal, and Ksus Nakiya. That's what makes it have that sense, what makes it have that feeling. Okay. Um, Weiter. Let's keep going. Pasuk Zayin. Bayomarishan Mikra Kodesh Yelachem Komalachas Avodah Lo Sasu On Pesach, on that first day, it's a holiday. You may not do Malacha. So the first day of Pesach, it's a holiday. You cannot do. Um, you can't do Malacha. You cannot do creative labor. There's a long Ramban here. We're not going to have time to go into, but the Ramban tries to talk about Cholamoid. What, what's the Isser Malacha? What is prohibited on Cholamoid? Cholamoid is a funny time period. Because, which is it? Is it more chol? Is it more moed? On the one hand, the in-between days are part of the, within the brackets of the holiday. You have the holiday clearly in the beginning, the holiday clearly in the end. Both have an Isra Malacha. Both are prohibited in creative labor. Both have the designation of holiday. The days in-between, what are they? Are they you return back to the normal world of chol of a weekday in-between? Or no, you are still, it's has the energy of the bookends to it and therefore it has a component of moed and that that's its very name represents that tension chol hamoed it's the weekday of the holiday chol hamoed one example where you have that tension is do you put tefillin on on chol hamoed how many people have put tefillin on chol hamoed with a bracha or without a bracha Without a bracha. With a bracha. So here you have represented, right in here, you have all three opinions. It's a machlo- Rambam, Rosh, Rashi, you have uh, Tosos, you have a big machlokas. What do you do on Cholom Do you put tefillin on? So one opinion is you don't put tefillin on. The other opinion is, of course, you put tefillin on with a bracha. The third opinion is you put tefillin on, but without a bracha. What's the tension? What's the debate about? Is it more Chol or is it more Moed? Cholom Is it more Chol or is it more Moed? If it's more Chol... You have to put tefillin on. If it's more moed, it's like the moed. Moed is an os, you don't need tefillin. So that's, tefillin is a perfect example of the tension of is it more chol or is it more moed? So we have this period of chol ha-moed. So when the Torah says you can't do malacha in the beginning of the holiday, yom harishon you can't. And next pasuk, So day one and day seven, day one and day seven you can't do malacha. So what can you extrapolate between days 1 and 7? You may. You can do malacha. So here you have a long Ramban. Rashi makes a comment. The Ramban makes a long comment of what can and can't you do on Cholomoid. And again, Cholomoid is one of the most complex areas of halacha. Nobody studies it because no one wants to study it because it's really complicated. What can or can't you do? We, we play ignorant. So we just treat it like Chol. The average, even observant, the average, even scrupulously observant Jew just treats Chol HaMoed as Chol. We write everything we want to write. We drive everywhere we want to drive. We do everything we want to do because we just treat it as Chol. Except for, except for Kashal Pesach. 
what you eat, but I'm saying in terms of the activities we do, but the truth is Cholamoid has rules. Yeah. You're not allowed to sew. Can you shine your shoes? Can you cut your nails? Can you do laundry? Can you... Uh, all these different uh, questions of things. Can, can you shop? Can you work? Can you engage in a business transaction? So there are a lot of different categories when it comes to Cholamoid. It's called Maisa Uman. There's Malacha, which every untrained person can do. And there's malacha, there's creative labor, which only a craftsman can do. It's a specialty. There's davra avid. There's something which, if I don't do it now, it will be lost. Let's say I want to purchase a certain stock. I want to invest in a stock where if I don't take advantage of the opportunity now, or there's a sale where if I don't buy it now, or I have a business opportunity where if I don't close the deal now, it will be lost. So davra avid, something which stands to be lost. Hefsid maruba, if I'm going to lose a lot of money. There's all kinds of rules of cholamoy. The prohibition of Malachan Cholamoid is that Doraisa or Dorabanan is a biblical or rabbinic. So there's a whole discussion, and I refer you to the long Ramban here, who derives a lot of this from this question where here you see the Torah says, Day one is Komalachas Avodalos Hasu. Day seven is Komalachas Avodalos Hasu. What about the days in between? What's the status of the days in between? Okay, so far we haven't gotten to anything I want to talk about yet. Pasuk test. So you have the pay, psucha, you have a little break, you go on to the next section. So God spoke to Moshe saying, tell the Jewish people that when you enter the land that I will give you, what land is that? Eretz Yisrael, when you enter the land of Israel, and you will harvest, you're going to cut down your produce, you're going to reap your harvest, bring an omer from your first harvest to the Kohen. What's an omer? An omer is a measure. Right? We talk about the omer, if I, said, if I stop someone, wake them in the middle of the night and say, what's the omer? Say, oh, that's, uh, that's the period between Pesach and Shavuos where we count and we lost our Bikiva students. No, the, the translation of the word Omer is, an Omer is a measurement. It's a dry measure, 43.2 average eggs. The volume of 43.2 average eggs is the, value of an, is the measurement of an Omer. It's the amount of flour that you have to bring, and it's the name that the offering is known by. It's an Omer offering, um, which we'll talk about what that does in a moment. But that's what the Torah says. When you bring your 